0: And we will get to, to some of those things. I want to make you aware of some things happening. Uh, but first, before I get into those, just to point your attention to a few things in the bulletin that are coming up uh, in the next week or two. So starting next Sunday for our Sunday school hours, which is from 930 to 1030, uh, we will be doing a new Sunday school curriculum. Uh, I will be leading Sunday school for about 12 weeks. It'll be here in the sanctuary for our adults. Uh, going through some of the doctrines of theology and what we believe about certain things. So if you are interested at all, if you're curious, by all means, please come. It'll be a good time. I'm looking forward to it, excited about it. If you have any questions, we'd love to talk to you about it. Also starting up in about a week and a half from today is our Wednesday night study. We will be going through a book called Rediscover Church. Uh, This book is about the purposes of church, why we gather, what church really is, uh, and as a heads up, if you haven't already known this, we are more than a Sunday social club that gathers just for the fun of it. Um, and so we'll, we'll go through this book and, and we will discuss what it means to be the church together. The books, if you're signed up and would like to, the books are in the back. So as you leave today, feel free to grab the books that you signed up for. Uh, if there's if they run out on the table, the box is underneath the table. So we'll, we have plenty of books for everyone who, who would like them. Uh, again, that will meet starting March 9th here in the sanctuary on Wednesday evenings from 6 to 7 p.m. Are there any other announcements, just logistic announcements? Yeah, Ron. Yes. Yes, thank you for for all those that that helped with that. Um, Speaking of that, many of you, I'm sure, are aware, but for those that are not, uh, Diane Hyatt had a stroke on Friday morning, uh, and she is, she went to Northeast first, and they transferred her to Charlotte, uh, Main's campus. There was some ongoing bleeding and a lot of complications. Um, this morning, Denise talking with her, Lynn's talked with her as well. Uh, this morning, Diane was able to speak for the first time since Friday. Uh, she said Denise's name uh, first thing this morning. Speech therapy came in, and she was able to say, count one to ten, and also say the days of the week. Um, she's getting some mobility back in her right arm, but I believe her right leg is still, uh, immobile. But, so she has certainly a long way to go in the recovery, but doctors are encouraged by the, the daily progress that has been, has been made. Um, Denise wanted me to let you know to, to thank all of you that have been praying and to ask that you continue to do so. Praying for, for Diane, for the Coopers, for Charles, for the Bolenbeckers. Uh, Eric and Beverly are in Florida, are traveling back today, I believe. Um, and, and we'll be able to spend some time with with Diane and Charles in the, in the hospital in the next few days. But so praying for, for all of them, for their for their family. Any other announcements? Okay. Um, well, as as I'm sure many of you have been watching on the news and have been keeping tabs of what's been happening around the world. Uh, Russia and Ukraine have been heavy on on my mind this week, as I'm sure it's been on yours I've been reading several articles about uh, from pastors and and churches in Ukraine and some of the things that they have been doing to prepare for the these these the fights and things that have been taking on ever since. Uh, and I, I read to you every morning as we begin as we begin our worship. I, I read to you from the Psalms, and I, I found this week that on Thursday morning, as the Russian soldiers began their attack of, of Ukraine at the borders and around as missiles began being launched, a, a message went out to all of the churches in Ukraine to gather together in a single prayer across the nation and to pray specifically Psalm 31. Um, and so this morning, as we, as we begin our worship, I want to, to, for us to join in with this prayer uh, that our, our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine are, have been praying all week. And we will be praying, I want to pray Psalm 31 over you and, and praying specifically for, for Ukraine. So let us, let us pray together. In you, O oh Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me. A strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge, and into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul and have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many terror on every side as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O oh, Lord, let me not be put to shame. For I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. O oh, how abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. In the sight of the children of mankind, in the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Let us sing our, our first hymn together. It is hymn 478, Sweet Hour of Prayer. Please stand and sing. Thank you. You may be seated. At this time, Steve is going to come and lead us in our capital fund.
1: Good morning, everyone. I wasn't prepared to do this this morning, so I opened my Bible to the chapter of Psalms, and it opened up to Psalm 100 which I think is appropriate, Uh, a psalm for giving thanks. And we have a lot to be thankful for, believe it or not. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who makes us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains true forever.
2: Put it in that chart. Okay, a little chart.
0: as you're finding your seats if our children want to come forward for our children's story uh jessica and hudson i believe are going to to lead us in this
2: you guys today good I'm so glad I'm happy to see your faces this morning you know what we're going to talk about today oh the Apostles Creed you are a good reader I can tell because that is soon on your bulletin isn't it now I'm not prepared to talk about the Apostles Creed (laughs) but Patrick would be so happy to answer any questions that you have about it (laughs) we're going to talk about prayer do you guys know what prayer is
3: closing in your eyes and you pray you just talk whatever you want to God and it will tell God what you want
2: okay okay I think I think that that's a good start does that
3: like, here's an example
2: <laughs> dear God make this day not rainy right okay so that that is a prayer right do you guys ever say things like that in your prayers what is what is praying? right and we we think about we think about putting our hands together we think about closing our eyes what are we doing when we're praying talking we're talking to god that's right is does the idea of talking to god sound kind of weird no
3: that's so excellent i'm so
2: i'm so happy about that because i think when i was your age i would have answered that question very differently <laughs>
3: to be honest But my question is how how does it talk to God when you do that. How how
2: are we actually talking to God when we do that? Okay. So, how many of you guys have a dad? Do you have a dad? Do you have a dad? You guys all have dads. Okay, great. So, we're starting from a common we're starting from a common place. If you need something, do you go and tell your dad sometimes? Yeah. What if you don't need something but you just want something? Do you go and tell your dad sometimes? depends on depends on what it is that we want right depends on what it is right but but are we do we think of talking to our dads as like some like thing that's like a big fancy formal affair no No, we just go talk to our dads dads, right okay so when we pray we're talking to god and we can think of that a lot like talking to our dads when we want something or need something, right? When we go and talk to our dads when we want something or need something, do they love? Do, do our dads love us? Yeah, they do, they do. Yeah, they do right? right? Do our dads want to help us when we need help? Yes,
3: they
2: do. Yeah, so just like that, God loves us and he wants to help us when we need help, right? Do our dads want to give us the things that we want? Yeah, Some when they're... Sometimes, when, when those things are good for us, right? But, like if you want a new video game. That's a sometimes but yes. Right. That's sometimes yes. But not always ice cream, because sometimes ice cream isn't good for us. What if we've already brushed our teeth and we're getting ready for bed? Bad time for ice cream, right? Okay. So there are things that we ask for that sometimes they're not a good thing for us, right? But our dads want to give us the things that we want when the things we want are good for us. Okay. Same thing with God. God hears us when we ask for these things in our prayers, just like our dads hear us ask for things when we ask for stuff, right? And he wants to give us the things that are good for us, okay? So he hears us, right? God hears our prayers. The Bible tells us that, that God hears our prayers. So why do we pray? Because we talk to God. That's what we're doing when we're praying, but why do we pray?
3: And how, and how does our message get sent
2: to God we pray? Okay, good question. So, Dayton, you said we pray because if somebody gets hurt, we need to pray, right? We pray for other people when they need things, right? Because we love those people and we want God to take care of them the same way that we want God to take care of us, right? That's a good why, right? We pray because we need God's help and other people need God's help, okay? So those are good things. Yes, we can pray for Ukraine and Russia. I didn't even pay you to say that. That's so great because we're totally going to be going there. So when, we, why would we pray for people who live so far away from us? Do you guys can we walk to Russia and Ukraine right now? No. no, it's very far from us, right? It's
3: like from here all the way to the end of
2: the world. Well, it it does feel like the end of the world compared to where we are. It's very far away, right? Mm-hmm. Where we are is not close, right? But we should pray for the people who live there, right? Because a lot of the things that we're hearing about on the news is things that like what the armies are doing or what the government is doing. But there's a lot of people who live in Russia who are just like us, right? Just regular people who are kind of trying to do their thing. Is that right? Yeah. so so we we do have to pray, right? and we need we need to pray for our friends in Ukraine friends in russia there are people in all of these places who else can we pray for related to russia and ukraine we want the president in russia ah he doesn't believe in god and that is a very important thing for us to remember right yeah it is it is that and so we can pray for him to believe in god we can pray for his heart to be changed we can pray for him to understand who god is and to know that he needs jesus right
3: why do people not believe in God?
2: Oh, that is a bigger question than we have time to get into here for children's story, but I'm sure that Patrick will be happy to address that at some point. <laughs> okay. Can I can I pray for all of us together right now? Okay. God, thank you so much for these sweet children. Thank you for... There are hearts that already understand so much about what prayer is and who you are and how important you are and how important it is that we trust in you and believe in you, God. Um, Help us as we think about what is going on in Russia and Ukraine right now. Help us to know how to pray for the people and the leaders there, Lord, um, and help our hearts to be tender to what's going on for the people who are there. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: It is a wonderful thing uh, to have our, our children come forward. It is no no small thing that Jesus told his disciples that to enter the kingdom we must have faith like a child. There is a, a beauty in the simplicity, uh, one that that as you you grow older you tend to lose. Um, so I'm thankful that we have have time in our worship service where we get to hear from from children and let them lead us in worship. Um, in the front of your handle is the Apostles' Creed. Uh, if, you, if you need it there to, to follow along or just re- be reminded of what it says, please find that because we're going to say the Apostles' Creed aloud together as a reminder and a, a profession of what we believe. And then following the Apostles' Creed, we will sing the doxology, which is printed in your bulletin. The doxology is a, an, an outburst of praise. And we, we order these two things together intentionally. Because when we say the Apostles' Creed together, we are proclaiming and reciting and, and reminding ourselves of why we gather and what it is that God has revealed to us in his word, what we believe. But this belief, this, these teachings, this creed is not just a random statement of fact. It is not something that we just assent to in our minds. It is something that drives us in our worship. And so we follow the Apostles' Creed with the doxology because it is an outburst of worship in response to the truth we, pro- we proclaim. So I invite you, if you believe it, to say the Apostles Creed aloud with me this morning. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven standing, let us sing another hymn together, Hymn 471, As the Deer. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, if you notice in your bulletin that uh, for this part of our service, it looks a little bit different than it normally does. Uh, it's blank. And the reason it's blank is this morning I had every intention, uh, as, as the week began, I had every intention of continuing through our, our study in Deuteronomy and picking up uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, where we had left off the previous week. And it spent Monday, Tuesday, and all of Wednesday, preparing and, and studying Deuteronomy 21. And and then as I was getting ready for bed Wednesday night, uh, Russia began their assault on Ukraine. And Thursday morning, as I, as I began the, the day and, and started looking again at Deuteronomy 21 and, and continuing the, the study there, I did not feel that Deuteronomy 21 was an appropriate text for us in worship this morning. I... I I felt the Lord leading and saying, if we if we continued and pushed forward into this study of Deuteronomy with ignoring what is happening on the other side of the world. It would be a a very big mistake for us as God's people to, to have worship and just to be ignorant of our brothers and sisters who are hurting and dying and hiding this morning. And the concerns of this week have, have been heavy on, on my heart, on, on my family's heart. We have, have been praying at, at, at mealtimes and in the evenings as a family for the people of Ukraine, for Russia, for President Putin, for President Biden, for all of our, our world leaders. And, and there's still this feeling of uncertainty. You know what, what, what does all of this mean? Where is this all headed? And what is this going to look like in a year, six months and there's also this feeling of powerlessness. What are, what are we supposed to do about it? What is there that we can do about it? I read an, an article this week that was written by a pastor of a church in Kiev. Uh, his name's Vassal Ostryi. and he wrote on Wednesday. That the, it was published on Wednesday, the days before the attack began. And he said this. He said in recent days. The events from the book of Esther have become very real to us in Ukraine. It's as if the decree is signed and Haman has license to destroy an entire nation. The gallows are ready. Ukraine is simply waiting. And Pastor Ostri and his church, Urban Bible Church there in Kiev, have spent the last several weeks planning and preparing and getting things in the right place in, in advance of this attack. Things like convincing and encouraging the church members who, who were willing to stay and not to flee to another country, but to stay. And those who did stay were trained in first aid and how to apply a tourniquet and how to clear airways and how to help those who might be trapped under a, a blown out building. They were commanded to, to store an emergency supply of, of fuel in case, as was very likely, the power to their city would be cut off. And that the church could serve as a shelter for those that needed a place to hide. I can't help but think of what their worship looks like this morning. So this morning, as we we come to this part of our our service where we study God's Word together, I, I still want to do this. I still want to do what we do every week, to open up God's Word and to... To preach the truth of his his gospel to you. To encourage you with this word. But then I I want us to do something different at the end of, of the sermon before we get into communion. Because what I want us to do is to put into immediate practice what God's word commands us. Because you see, when we feel uncertain, when we feel... Powerless when we are anxious or afraid or fearful or nervous or anything that, that these things wrap around us, God has given us one very clear instruction of what we should do in those moments. It's to pray. And so, if you have a Bible, let me encourage you. If you don't have a Bible, grab a blue one uh, there on your pew. But turn with me to the book of First Timothy. First Timothy uh, is a book towards the end of your Bible. It's in the New Testament. It follows uh, 2 Thessalonians and it comes right before 2 Timothy. Um, But in this this book, it is Paul the Apostle writing to his young protege, Timothy, who's a a young pastor in in Ephesus. And he is encouraging uh, this pastor on what his ministry should be about and what they are to be doing as a church and how he as a pastor is called to lead. And he says there in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we will be looking this morning at the first six verses of the second chapter. Paul writes to Timothy, he says this. He says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. And flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Pray with me, Father. As our hearts are heavy, we we come to Your Word and we pray for help. We pray for Ukraine. You give them strength. You give them endurance. You give them perseverance that you would protect them. We pray for Russia, that you would send them home. We pray for our world leaders, that you would give them wisdom in knowing how to handle this situation, how to handle it rightly. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are hurting this morning, who are hiding. Be especially near to them. Be with us this morning as we worship you. Help us to to know what it means to pray to you in times of need. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to show you quickly three three ways that we are called to pray from this passage in 1 Timothy. We are to pray for people. We are to pray with purpose. And we are to pray with power. Pray for people. Pray with purpose. You'll notice in, as we begin in this understanding of praying for people, you have the emphasis that Paul gives to Timothy as he begins this, this second chapter. It's as if Timothy is asked the question, well, Paul, what, what am I supposed to do as, as a pastor? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to lead? Where should I begin? And Paul says, well, first of all, the very first thing that I, I think you should do, step one, Timothy, is to pray. And then after you've accomplished step one and after you've prayed, then then you can move on to step two, which is also to pray. And after step two, you can move to step three, pray. And then finally, after you get through all these three steps, then you can finally get to the point where you pray some more in step four. I mean, we see four different words that Paul gives. I mean, these different words that Paul uses are really just an emphasis that Paul is giving. He's saying, Timothy, you need to pray and then pray and then pray and then pray. Always. He says you should offer supplications, which we might better understand as a a cry for help. You should offer intercessions, which is a a plea for forgiveness. You should offer thanksgivings. A giant thank you. And I think it's it's good for us to know and to be reminded of these three ways that we pray. Help, forgive, thanks. These are important and necessary features of prayer. But Paul also states who we should be praying these things for. He says pray for all people, and especially kings and all who are in high position. So under this umbrella of all people, which is a very broad umbrella... This would include people that are like us, people that are not like us. This would include people that are close to us, our neighbors and our co-workers and the people that we see down the street. But it would also include people that are far from us, people who we never know their names and have never seen their faces, but they live on the other side of the planet. This means praying for brothers and sisters in Christ, praying for their strength, for their endurance, for their faith for their witness, for their mission. It also means praying for enemies of the kingdom of God. Again, the pastor at Urban Bible Church in Kiev, uh, Pastor Ostry, he wrote in that same article, speaking of his church and the, the, the decision that they had made as a church to stay in Kiev. He said this, he said, If the church is not relevant at a time of crisis, then it is not relevant in a time of peace. If prayer is not relevant in your life at a time of crisis, then it is not relevant at a time of peace. And so we pray for men like Pastor Vasil. We pray for his church. We pray for our brothers and sisters that in, in Kiev that are suffering and hurting, and and still having a heart for their neighbors, caring for those that are that are grieving and have no way of understanding what's happening. It also means that we pray for the atheist in Russia who are aiming weapons at that very same church. You see, there's something that, that is incredible that happens in us when we pray for people that hate us and when we pray for people that are not like us and when we pray for people that are openly opposed to and, and seeking our destruction. One of the early church uh, pastors, John Chrysostom, he said very poetically, he said it is, much more difficult to hate someone when you are actively praying for them because you see when we pray for our enemies when we pray for those that are against us our hearts begin to love them so paul says first of all timothy you need to pray for all people everyone so then he says pray for kings And all who are in high position. He is sort of narrowing the scope for Timothy. And he's praying very clearly. He's saying, look, you need to pray for your governors. You need to pray for your senators. You need to pray for your representatives. You need to pray for your president. And all of this regardless of political political party, of bills they've passed, of votes they've made or not made. Pray for them. And this also doesn't doesn't end at the borders of the nation you currently live in. It includes world leaders around the globe. So, yes, we should pray for President Biden. We should pray for our nation's leaders as they navigate this war and this situation in Russia and Ukraine and all the other issues that they face on a regular basis. But this calling to pray for our president and for our leaders does not change on who's in office. It should apply to our previous president. It should apply to our present president. It should apply to our future president. We pray for all who are in high position. But again, this under this umbrella, it also must include praying for men like President Putin. Putin is a staunch atheist who hates, openly hates the church. He certainly needs prayer, doesn't he? I mean, a, a man like that certainly needs someone to pray for him. And I think it's important that we not forget the, the, the world context in which Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul is, is currently, I believe he is currently in jail under arrest by Roman government when he writes these words. And he's appealed to Caesar. And the Caesar to whom he's appealed is, is the Caesar Nero. A madman, a lunatic. Who burned down half of Rome, as Todd taught us this morning, he burned down half of Rome And then blamed it on the Christians. Which in effect turned the entire Roman Empire against the church. This is an emperor who who thought that it was fun to gather up and to arrest Christians and throw them into the Colosseum. And then just watch them be brutally tortured and killed while crowds cheered. Paul tells Timothy, you need to pray for that man. And notice he doesn't say, pray that God would wipe him out. He doesn't say, pray that God would take Nero off the face of the earth. He says, pray for them, offer supplications. God, help him. Offer intercessions. God, forgive him. Offer thanksgivings. God, thank you for him. I think that we as a church need to pray for all world leaders to have wisdom in in knowing how to rightly confront the evils that we are seeing take place around the world but especially in ukraine this morning we need to pray for them to have courage and to stand up and take action when necessary we need to pray for putin and the rest of the russian leaders to stand down and go home we need to pray for the soldiers on both sides of the fighting Pray for the civilians who've taken up arms to defend their homes. Pray for the Russian people. I think this, more than anything, might get missed. That the people of Russia do not necessarily share the same evil desires of their dictator. So we pray. We pray for all people. We pray for kings. We pray for all who are in high positions. We pray that God would work in them and through them. We pray supplications for them. We pray intercessions for them. We pray thanksgivings for them. And while I believe that it should be enough for us to hear the command of Scripture to pray and say, yep, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go pray. I think personally, for me at least, it helps to know the purpose of prayer. To know why I'm praying, not just who I'm praying for. And so if we understand that we are called in this passage to pray for people, we need to also understand that we are called to pray with purpose. Pray with purpose. Paul says you are to pray for the people. You are to pray for the kings. And Then he continues, he says, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Anybody here want to step out on a limb and say, I don't really want that kind of life? I mean, I'm good with the noise. I'm good with the fighting. I'm good with ungodly and reckless living. Like, let's go. Of course not. Of course we want peaceful and quiet lives. We want godly, dignified lives. And praying for our world leaders is done in the hope that this will happen. But let me give some clarity on what this type of life looks like. Because it... Because peaceful and quiet and godly and dignified does not necessarily mean the picture that we immediately have in our head when we hear those words. For example, come to our house. Come to my house this afternoon. I guarantee you it will be neither peaceful nor quiet. But in all of that noise, I can honestly say that it is an answer to prayer. I can honestly say that in that house I will tell you very clearly, God is good. And see, while we do want peace and quietness, we want godliness and dignity to define our lives, and we want it for all of God's people and all around the world. Again, understand the context in which Paul is writing. The church is being attacked. They are being attacked from the government outside their walls. They are being torn apart by wolves within them. And yet, this purpose of prayer is still held out to Timothy and to the church. You see, the beauty of peace, the beauty of this this purpose, that there is peace and quietness and, and godliness and dignity, the beauty of this is that even if the world around the church is at war, consumed by chaos... There is within the soul of every believer a peace that surpasses every ounce of understanding we throw at it. We I mean, think of the Ukrainian churches this morning. They are likely not gathering in their sanctuaries. But they are huddled together in bomb shelters and in subway tunnels. They are hiding in basements with their neighbors. And yet, even in the midst of that, a world that I personally cannot fathom. Every brother and sister in the cities of Kyiv and Kharkiv and all around Ukraine, they can stand huddled together in those shelters and sing together in one voice when peace like a river attendeth my way. As missiles began hitting the buildings around them, they can still sing even louder over these explosions, and sorrows like sea billows roll. As they look out their windows and see Russian soldiers and tanks coming down their street, they can sing together as the church and say, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Even in the midst of a war zone, that is a peaceful and quiet life that is godly and dignified in every way. But there's more to this, this purpose in prayer. Paul continues, he says, that this, this pursuit, this peaceful, quiet life, godly, dignified in every way, he says, this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. If the purpose of our prayers only goes so far as to obtain for ourselves peace, ...and to obtain for ourselves quietness... ...and to obtain for ourselves godliness and dignity... ...and it stops right there... ...we have missed it. We have once again fallen short of the glory of God. Because we've missed the true purpose of prayer. It's good for us to pray for world leaders... ...and for their wisdom. It's good for us to pray that justice be done... ...for evil to be stopped... ...for wars to end... ...and for peace to cover the earth. But if our prayers do not extend... ...to the arena of salvation then we have missed the purpose of prayer. And you see, you see what Paul says there in verse 4 about the desire of God's own heart. It is, it is laid out for you in this passage. So if you've ever thought to yourself, what does God want from me? What are the desires of God's own heart? It is right here. Here it is. He desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And if that's God's desire, shouldn't be ours as well? I mean, when's the last time that you personally prayed that God would save someone? When's the last time that, that you prayed that God would forgive their sins and cover them in the grace of Christ and redeem their life from the pit? When's the last time you prayed that prayer for someone you hated or someone who hated you? When's the last time you prayed for God to save someone who you truly believe to be wicked? See, I, I, I want Putin to turn his troops back. I want him to go home. I want him to stop this, this siege of, of Ukraine and this grubby claim for land that their, that their country once had but has no longer. I pray for it. But ultimately... The only way that this happens is for Putin's heart to change. And the only way for his heart to change is for it to be radically gripped by the gospel of Christ and for God to do a miraculous work in him. So am I praying for Putin's salvation? I think the words that Ezekiel writes in Ezekiel 18 stand in in stark contrast to what so many of us as Christians believe when it comes to evil men and and women and, and wicked regimes. God says this in Ezekiel 18. He says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God. And would I not rather that he should turn from his way and live? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God return and live. We are called church to pray for all people. We are called to pray for all kings and all who are in high position and we are called to do this so that the that we may have the peace of God. But as we pray, our desires are being brought into alignment with the desires of God. A desire that all people would be saved. So let us pray for people with this purpose. But does it ever feel, does it ever feel like your, pray, your prayers are uninspired or weak or, or, dare I say, pointless? I mean, anyone ever, ever feel that, that your prayers just seem like you're just throwing words up into the sky and hoping that it hits Something feels like grabbing handfuls of just wet pasta and throwing it at the ceiling, hoping something sticks up there. And I think we need to be reminded of what Paul says here. We must pray. We must pray for people. We must pray with purpose. But finally, we must pray with power. We must pray with power. And I think to understand this, we need to understand that prayer is by its in and of itself an act of faith. It is faith that God will do what we ask. It is faith that God will change or or save or work or heal or speak. It is faith that God will hear us when we speak to him. I mean, this is a faith that, that cannot be shaken, to be sure. But it is not because of how much or how well we believe. There's a grave lie when it comes to prayer and and, and faith that if you pray and ask God to do something or to, to reveal something or to heal someone or to save someone and it doesn't happen, then the fault is not on God, but it is on you because you didn't believe it hard enough. It's a lie. Don't believe that. God's actions are not dependent upon how strong your faith is. Because you are not saved by how strong your faith is. It is not your faith that saves you. It is the object of your faith that saves you. So as Christ himself said, if your faith is as tiny as a mustard seed, it can move mountains. Church, if your faith in Christ is as tiny as a mustard seed, it does not matter how weak that faith is. Because the the Savior in whom you place it is strong enough to move a mountain. So as it is with faith and salvation, so it is with prayer. Even in our moments of weakness, even in our moments of doubt, even when our faith is smaller than a mustard seed. Christ hears our prayers and he acts according to his will. Paul says he continues in in verse uh, five, he says, for there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Paul says very clearly that we have a mediator. We have one mediator who is Christ Jesus. He is a man, he is God. And to understand this, I think it helps to understand what a mediator does. A mediator stands between two parties, communicating with both and passing word along. A mediator is the middleman. If you've been with us in Sunday school over the last several weeks, we've been studying the Israelites wandering through the wilderness. God saved them from Egypt. They are waiting to enter the promised land, and they are wandering around. And if you're familiar, you know the Israelites were anything but happy campers. They were grumblers. They were complainers. They had something to say about everything. But instead of of going into the presence of God and complaining to God, they complained instead to Moses. Said, Moses, you've got to tell God to do something about this. This needs to fix. We're tired of manna. We're tired of quail. We're tired of water coming out of rocks. Like, come on, just just do something. And Moses, as their mediator, would hear their complaints and their grumblings and their their gripes. And he would then go into the presence of God and say, hey, God, they're upset again. They're complaining about this again. And God would then say, look, go tell them I'm going to provide this and and we'll bring some more water out of a rock and we'll send quail for them to eat meat. And so Moses then would turn and go back to the people and he would explain everything that God had told him. Working as this go-between between God and Israel. Moses was their mediator. But church, you and I have a far greater mediator than Moses. Because our mediator is both God and man. He is like us and unlike us all at the same time. He is fully man and yet at the same time fully God. He tasted our life of brokenness. He witnessed the pain of death. He even tasted death himself and yet remained unstained by any of sin's dominion over this world. And now, at this very moment, this one who has walked with us, this one who has wept with us, this one who has died for us, now stands as your mediator before the father, praying for you, pleading for you, speaking your name to the father's ear. Saying, father, this one is mine. Be with her. Forgive him. And if you don't believe me, I think the way that we end our prayers really points to this truth more than anything else. Prayer have, has become this almost ritualistic. If you've grown up in church, you, you learn from a very young age how to begin, how to end prayers, and everything else in the middle is just sort of a, a toss-up based on the need. But the, the prayer always begins with dear God or dear Father or, or Daddy or Papa or however you want to open your prayers, but it ends the same way. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever thought about why it is that our prayers end that way? See, you and I have no access to the throne. We have no authority to speak to God on our own. If I were to stand before the Father and say, I ask this in my name, in Patrick's name, I pray, amen. It would be a horrible, horrible blasphemy. Because I have no authority in and of myself to dare speak, let alone enter his presence. But by coming in the name of Jesus, by praying in the name of Jesus, it is because we we are professing faith that in that name there is power. And in that name there is power to heal and to fix and to save this broken world. We pray in that name because it will be at that name that every knee will bow and every tongue confess and every soldier put down his weapon and every dictator step down from his throne and every president bend the knee to the one true king. That very name. Christian, you can pray with power because you can know fully and completely that you have a mediator at the throne right now. And this mediator died for you, giving his life as a payment for yours. And he is standing before the father, speaking your name, saying your request, praying for you, even and especially when you don't even know what to pray for. He is there praying for you. So we pray for people. We pray with purpose. We pray with power. Now, in light of this, I I do believe that God's word is is a matter of obedience. I do not speak just to get all of the hot air out of my chest on Sunday mornings. I speak this because God's word commands it and we are called in to obey. And so I'm going to ask our elders to to come on down front and and be down front, because what we're about to do in this time is, is we are going to put into practice what we have just studied in God's word. God's word commands us to pray for all people and for all kings and all who are in high position. And so this is what we will do together as a church in worship together. Church, remember this. Let us live in obedience to this command to pray and pray for all people and all kings and all rulers. Let us live in obedience to this command and and pray with purpose. Pray for the desires of God's heart that all people will be saved. Let us live in obedience to this command and pray with power, power in the wonderful, glorious, saving name of Jesus Christ, our great mediator and king. I'm going to pray and then our elders are going to lead us. Pray with me. Father, we we pray. We pray in obedience to your word. We pray that. pray your will be done father we can come to you and we can lift up the burdens and the cares of the people around the world we come to you we, we know that we can come and pray and lift up the burdens of our own people we pray for for diane hyatt we pray for her husband charles we pray for her family that you would bring healing that you would bring comfort that you would bring peace to them even in the midst of a hospital room Be glorified in our prayers. Hear us when we cry to you. It's in that glorious name of Christ we pray. Amen.
4: Lord God, we come in your name. We know, Lord, that you hear our prayers. Lord, we confess that we often don't think about those far away, only those who are close by and present, Lord. But we can't help but to think, Lord, of what the church in Ukraine is experiencing as we see the news come across our TVs and internet, Lord, that they're not running. They're not fleeing, Lord. They're, they, they're choosing intentionally to stay. And we are thankful, Lord, that they're doing that. They are standing firm and steadfast. Lord, I can ask for your continued strength for them through you, through your Spirit. Help them to engage those who are in turmoil, in despair. Help them to point to you as Lord and Savior. But I pray that they will hold firm to the promise you gave in Isaiah, that they fear not. And you told them, I am with you. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's a promise, Lord, to hold on to when they are tempted to turn, to flee, or to deny even, Lord, in the face of persecution, as we all are. Lord, the real enemy is Satan. Lord, and you've given us your word to do battle, Lord. So I pray for them, for the church, to hold fast, stand firm. As you said, in this world there will be temptations and persecutions. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Lord, allow them to take heart. Even our brothers and sisters in Russia, who are underground because of their president, Lord, we just join hands with everyone, our hearts in a desperate plea to you, Lord, to take action, spiritual action. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. And again, in your name we pray. Amen.
0: As we do every week, we are going to take communion together. Because communion teaches us more than anything else that we are not a defeated people, but a victorious people. If, if you don't have communion, Ron is at the back, just raise your hand and he'll be happy to bring one to you. Um, if you're here this morning and you are a believer, you may not be a member of the church, but if you are a believer in Christ who have professed faith in his name and and believe in him for salvation, then you are welcome to take the table with us. And if that's you, regardless of how how young or old you are, if that's you, you have not yet placed faith in Christ, then, then I would ask that you not take this this morning. But take the real thing instead. Call on Christ and be saved. Be forgiven. Receive life. In the table, we are reminded of of how truly broken this world is. Because you see Christ came to redeem the world. He came to redeem us, his people. And to do that, he had to die. There was no other way. There was no other there was no loophole in the legal system. There was no other way around it. Death was the payment required. For our sin, for the world's sin, for the brokenness of creation, for every war that's ever been fought. Christ died. Remember, the death of Christ, the body of Christ broken for you. Christ told his disciples in Matthew 24, he said that in the end days, there will be wars and rumors of wars. Do not be surprised when they come. And I am not one to claim this war as a fulfillment of those promises, but it is a comfort to know that Christ was not unaware, even when he was still on the earth, that these these days would come. Regardless of what happens in Russia and Ukraine, regardless of what events come from this attack, regardless of how things turn out, There's not a single thing that Putin or any other world leader can do to remove Christ from his throne. Not a thing. And Christ promised to return. He promised to return and end war. He promised to return and bring peace. And until that day comes, we pray and we pray with and for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. We pray with and for our brothers and sisters all around the world. Come quickly, Lord Jesus the King. If you'll join us, we'll sing our our last hymn together. It's hymn 479, Near the Cross. Please stand and sing. Our benediction this morning is the Great Commission, Christ's final command to us. And we leave here going out in obedience to it. So I invite you to say it aloud with me. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of the age. Go in grace.